Court is in session. Welcome to Colton Court on a beautiful Monday afternoon in the Philadelphia area. I'm your host, Gerald Colton, a longtime sports agent attorney, along with my co-host, six-time first-team Pro Bowl, 14 first-team All-Pro, one-time second-team guard for mostly the New Orleans Saints, a little bit for the Green Bay Packers, Jari Evans. Good afternoon, Jari. What up, man? How you doing? Well, listen, there's so much up, as always, and it's an exciting time. Um, we've got the convergence, always, of, of multiple sports going on. You know, we get this in the fall where all four sports are sort of in session when basketball and hockey start out and football's underway, and then we've got the winding out baseball. Well, that's how the spring always feels to me. We've got mm-hmm. NBA and NHL in their home stretch regular seasons with – you know, a little bit over a month to go in the regular season before we hit into the playoffs. And you've got um, baseball, spring training rolling, and a few mm-hmm. weeks away from opening day. And you've always got football. The NFL has a way to do it. And today, do you know what today is, Ja? Today is March 11th. It is March 11th. And what is March 11th, or at least today, because it rotates every year? I think but it's what, the beginning of the free agencies. You know what? Season? You know what? You're really, really close. And, and as a 12 year veteran of the NFL and somebody went through some free agency stuff yourself, it is the, it is the start. And, and actually, as we speak right here at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, mm-hmm. the start of what they refer to as the legal tampering period, which is one of the most great, the greatest oxymorons there could ever be, legalized tampering. But what it means is that clubs are now free to discuss with agents and players uh, contracts. Clubs, they are only limited to talk to their own players up until now. The league year officially ends and begins at 4 o'clock on Wednesday, two days from now, and they give right. them two days to actually legally talk. Now, what has gone on forever forever is talks between agents and players and clubs right. way before the time. So now they've put this two day window. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But March is March is the time where that where that March bonus money come in. That that See, you if you got a if you got a good uh, representation, you know what I'm <laughs> we had we had some of that in your contracts <laughs> over the years, and it's funny, a lot of the contracts, and especially the large and the free agent contracts and the stars in the league, have roster bonuses contained in them that kick in either right at the start of the league year or two two weeks into it or whatever, ten days into it, and we and we had those in your contract, so that's what forces clubs to make decisions on players prior to the start of free agency. Right. So if, if a club's going to cut a veteran at some point down the road, they got to make that num- that decision before they pay that roster bonus. And that was put in to protect guys like you from getting cut like on the eve of the season when you don't have the opportunity to money. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and they have to make their decision a lot earlier. And that's why you see a lot of releases of veteran players around this time of year. And the Eagles are, have already been very active in this market, apparently. Malik Jackson is who uh, was a big star or big part of the Denver defense that won the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 53 years ago, uh, has been down in Jacksonville. He he parlayed that Super Bowl into a big contract in Jacksonville. And three years later, that number is too big for Jacksonville. They release him, and the Eagles signed him to apparently a three-year, $30 million contract. Pretty good bargain for the kind of player they're getting. And they kind of made the decision where we'll let Michael Bennett go from the defense, and we're going to exchange him from Lee Jackson. I think it's actually probably an upgrade. Uh, I think so. I, I think uh, Bennett is is um, you know he, he's a big, quick guy that played on the edge most of his career, but as of late has kind of moved inside and, and kind of been a good pass rusher against this this now pass heavy NFL we have in the inside, going against a little bit bigger guards um, in a little tighter space. But uh, I think the the acquisition of Malik Jackson is going to be good because he's one of those bigger guys that can play the run well, which the Eagles do. And now you have a premier back that the Giants have in your division. Uh, Cowboys has a premier back also. And, you know, Washington had a pretty good rushing attack with Adrian Peterson last year. So you're in a division where running is, I would say, more of a focal point than going through the air. So you need those big guys in the middle to stop the run. And, and if you can stop the run and make a team one-dimensional, it increases your chance to win. But I think he's he's more comfortable to their defense in the inside over the, the guards in the center position, and, and it's going to bode well for those guys coming off the edge also. John, your perspective of having played 12 years in the trenches, playing right guard throughout your career and facing D tackles mostly. I mean, you also had to deal with the ends and linebackers, but right. you really you're matched up more with the D tackles. Yes. And so a guy, you're, you're really the expert to know Michael Bennett versus Malik Jackson. And we've talked about the past, but in case listeners haven't heard, from your standpoint, would you rather face that smaller, quick guy or the bigger, strong guy? Who's easier for Jerry Evans to deal with? I've always played well against 
Everybody. Well, I have, but you did. Preferably um, the bigger, quick. I mean, the uh, the the bigger, stronger guy. Um, and maybe it's just because in New Orleans we were a pass-heavy offense. So those smaller, quick guys get on your edge a little bit. And a guy like Drew, who's not moving very much, he's staying right there. You know, a couple yards behind you. You know, our. our toughest point was to keep guys in front of us so if you get that edge rusher that now is able to get on the edge on the inside and can bend the corner well um, those are the guys I struggle with sometimes uh, the bigger guys myself being a 330 pound guard I pretty much fared well against those guys um, because I just you know were as, were as big as those guys and practiced that way to make sure that I didn't let those guys always generate their power and uh, be effective but uh but, you know, I've been good against the quick guys, too, the Gerald McCoys. I faced him my whole career, and he's a big, quick guy, and, and we've had a lot of big battles. But if I was in a running offense, maybe I would like the quicker, smaller guys more. You know, but it, It's funny, John, because you and I talked about through the years, and I remember some of your big battles against, in particular, Minnesota had the Williams. They weren't brothers, but right. but they had two guys named Williams who lined up at their tackles, and they were both huge. And I, I you, you really battled Two different rushers, too. But, but real, real physical players. So mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting to me to hear, and always was, that you preferred that big guy even though – the game was so physical against a big guy, but you were able to get your hands on them easier and be able to do what you wanted to do. Well, if you look at it like action, right? You say action. So those bigger guys give you less action. The little guys give you more action, which is more things to stop as far as moves with the hands and the way they can get skinny. And you, you see Michael Bennett, he's he's moving to the smaller shoulder pads now because he, he wants to get skinny. He wants to fit through those little gaps. and get Skinny on the being edge. relative term here. <laughs> well, you know, just <laughs> turning your shoulders to where they're – Sure. Not as parallel as the offensive linemen, perpendicular, so that's where you get skinny. But, yeah, you know, us big guys in the trenches don't get skinny much, so <laughs> <laughs> we try to use that as much as possible. But, uh, but yeah, so those are the different things you have. Is It's difficult when you're in pass pro to go against a guy who plays on your edge. It's easier when you're in the run game to go against a guy that plays on your edge sometimes because they're less powerful. You can move those guys. It's dip more difficult in the run game to go against those power guys that stay square because they're harder to move so it really depends on the structure of the offense the structure of the line the teaching of the line and how the offense is ran who are you sore after playing the next day oh man uh always the bigger stronger guys yeah you're banging a lot more yeah you know because i'm in a i'm in a passing offense um i'm in a timing rhythm offense Uh, i'm in the offense where the qb knows where he's going with the ball before the play is is even you know before the ball snap i'm i'm in a, a highly efficient offense that's passing the ball a lot so I'd rather go up against non-pass rushers because they give you less action. Well, anyway, so we'll see. If that makes sense. Yeah, you know. it, makes, <laughs> it makes so much sense, but your perspective of having been there and what you had to deal with is something that I don't think people think about from the outside. Yeah. And and to be in your body physically and to actually have to play against these guys and deal and with like, them. And like I said myself, like I was a, I was one of the moving guards. I think I ran the most yardage out of my 12 years in any guard in the league because I would be pulled to the left to block the defensive end on the left-hand side. I would, I would be pulled around in the run game to the right. I'd be pulled around in the run game to the left. You know, I'm in a screen pass in a passing game, too. So I was one of those guards that, that didn't really just stay still and block the guy in front of him. I blocked guys on the edge. I got up to backers, up to DBs, up to safeties, up to defensive ends. So, you know, I've blocked different body types in different situations, and that's just how our offense was uh, built. Yeah, a lot of guys said to me over the years, nobody asked their guards to do more than the New Orleans Saints did. And, and yeah. it's also why you were recognized as the very best in the game when you did it, but you were also asked to do the most. Anyway, let's, let's talk a little bit about some other stuff. We're going to be joined in a few minutes by Robbie Impsikowski, the one of the voices of the Pittsburgh Pirates. We're going to talk a little baseball as it's heating up outside and heating up down in Florida, and the Phillies are hot as far as the interest in the city and everyone looking forward to the home opener in a few weeks where Bryce Harper makes his debut, and we'll talk about baseball with Robbie. But we're going to stay on football for, for now until we get joined by Robbie. And um, one of the things that's always interesting, of course, in football is that whenever that free agency period officially begins, the start of the new league year, so we're going to start the 2019 NFL season and conclude the 2018, which comes into play during Colton's champions, we'll get to that later, yeah. but we're still, we're still in 2018 right now mm-hmm. for another two days, and then we've come 2019 officially on the NFL clock, and um, 
what happens though in free agency is the moment free agency hits and even some of the deals trick out before, those deals are signed and executed. In baseball, we just saw the Bryce Harper sweepstakes take four months and right. in football it goes so differently. And right. in dealing with football as as an agent as I had, what I what has always happened is you go to Indianapolis in late February for the combine, you meet with teams about your prospective free agents, deals are offered and discussed and truly agreed upon and the second free agency strikes the deals to the top guys generally are done and nobody sort of waits it out and the clubs do tell you and especially the way sweepstakes work in football is listen we got to have an answer because if not we're going to the next guy right and they really will like hey we want your guy but if you're not going to give if if he's not going to be out there we can't risk going all the way down in the rankings. So, yeah. and, and that's why in football you're going to see all these quick decisions and clubs are going to hold guys' hands to the fire, and if they're not going to give them a yes, they're going to go on to that next guy. Yeah, I think it's, it's obviously more guys to manage as far as uh, building your team and the, and the number of guys, and you rather miss out on one guy than miss out on three or four guys, and sometimes you can probably do that if you're, if you're waiting or putting all your eggs in one basket on that one guy. But, uh, you know, it's – I don't think that – I think it's a different league. You know, it's, it's just – we always say it all the time. <laughs> There's only a handful of teams that walk into September knowing they got a shot at the trophy. And a lot of times they're not pressed to build the team to go for a championship. We see it all the time. They just don't have the talent to do that. So I think sometimes they're, w- they're willing to walk away from that big number guy if that guy isn't ready to take that number right now and go get two or three guys with that number. So, John, it's so true. That it's much more interchangeable in football. There's a lot more factors, the salary cap going yeah. into play. And when you don't get the clear-cut superstars the way it works in baseball where we had Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, and a few others that, that are separate themselves from the pack so much. Right. And the fact is that baseball free agency, because of the length of deals they sign and the fact that they're under sort of ownership by their first drafted club for six years, takes so long to achieve, and the guys who actually hit it and, and make it to that level and haven't extended – are a few rare guys that are that superstar at the yeah. prime of their career. And and then the differentiation is way greater than in football where they might say you're the best guard, but if you don't want to go with them, there's a guy just a little bit less in their minds that they're going to grab. Right, and they can surround that guy with the best tackle or the best center. They can yep. put other factors around it yep. to to still, you know, you know, try to get the best out of the team and the rest of the in the and and the and the, and the, and the guys as a whole. And the other sports are just different. You know, baseball, you're, it's just you at the plate. You know, on the mound, it's just you on the mound. So when that fly ball comes in center field, it's just you out there. So it's just a different dynamic. And you see teams run different styles of offense based off their personnel. No if, you, if you don't have the guys that can do this, then you're not going to, you shouldn't ask them to do it because you're not maximizing their ability. And that's why you see offenses change if, you know, depending on if it's a man scheme, zone scheme, passing, running, play action. Because they, once they figure out, like, listen, this guy can't, can't do this. We got to, you know, either get him out of here, get somebody that can, or make it more advantageous to his body type and what he's able to do to have success here. Well, you were mentioning baseball just a second ago, and it's a good time to make a little transition. And as we said, it's heating up outside and heating up down in Florida. And in Philadelphia, they are so rabid and excited for the premiere of Bryce Harper in a couple weeks. But we have on the phone with us a Philadelphian who's transplanted right now and works for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And the AT&T Sportsnet out in Pittsburgh is one of their broadcasters. And dear friend, Robbie Sikowski, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us, Robbie. Are you there? Well, I'm looking at Taylor, and Taylor's hitting a bunch of buttons, and we might have lost Robbie in the Florida sun. Hopefully he didn't fall into the bay. Anyway, we'll get him back on the line, and we're going to start talking baseball in a second with Robbie, who is originally a dear friend from his days in Philadelphia. But in the meantime, John, let's talk a little bit Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown had the bad sort of end of the season with the Steelers where – a great performer for nine years, mm-hmm. to me, maybe the best receiver in football. Mm-hmm. Uh, led the league in, in touchdowns again this year and was just a huge part of the Steelers' offense and, and uh, a guy who has a knack of getting open, making catches in traffic. It just amazes me how good he is. And a little outspoken at times, and he clearly was in conflict with the 
organization, and, and it seemed like also his quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, wound up not playing in the last game, saying he didn't want to be a stealer anymore despite having three years on his contract, mm-hmm. forcing basically a trade. And at the end of the day, Antonio Brown won. He is now an Oakland Raider. He is going to have a contract bump up from third. And, and this can't be finalized again until the start of the year in two days. Okay. But but it seems like it's an agreement right now. He's going to get bumped up from he, – he had three years remaining in his contract. They redid the deal, did not add any time to it. He's going to bump, get bumped up from $38 million to $50 million. So he's got an extra $12 million in total dollars as well as an extra guarantee of $30 million that didn't exist. And it's just amazing that ultimately he he sort of won that. And I want to come back to that because we, now we have Robbie. Robbie, you didn't fall into the bay or anything, did you? <laughs> you know, uh, not as far as I know. But the one thing I'm learning at a very quick pace here, my house here in spring training in Bradenton, Florida, is not uh, is not conducive to cell phone reception. Oh, but I know thank you feel. for having me anyways. Well, I, and, and I know Bradenton where the Pirates train. It's a, I guess it's about an hour south of Clearwater, right, where the Phillies are? Yep, that's right. Yep, right on the Gulf Coast. Um, uh, Sarasota, it's about 20 minutes north of Sarasota, just, uh, just off I-75 by a couple miles. And the Pirates have called this their home now for 51 years. So it's been a very long time, similar to the Phillies in Clearwater. Um, the Pirates have called Bradenton their home for a very long time. But they still have the old stadium there, right? The Phillies built a new one about, you know, less than 20 years ago. How about how the Pirates? They're still playing in that yep. old place, right? Anyway. Um, yep. It's uh, the, the former McKechnie Field renamed Lecom Park. Uh, you know, sponsorship dollars speak above everything. And um, this is the second second or third year. Um, but, yeah, this ballpark's been here for a very, very, very long time. Well, Robbie, Probably more I, than 51 years, that's for sure. I gave you an introduction before. I'm not going to repeat it. But you're, you're an old friend and, and have deep Philadelphia roots, having grown up here, having gone to school at Temple, having worked in the Philadelphia Eagles organization. But I want to discuss real briefly, and, of course, we have Jari as my partner here. And Jari, a, a native Philadelphian who spent his NFL career elsewhere but lives here and is making his business and life here and raising his family. But talk to me a little bit about your start in sports because it's a real interesting one. You and I met, I guess it was uh, late 80s, early 90s, and it was a time yeah. where we went Buddy Ryan era to Rich Cotite era, which was a lot shorter. And they, the Eagles had kind of a, a little bit of a golden era that unfortunately could never get to the level they probably should have a success, but a real interesting crew led by Reggie White on defense and Randall Cunningham on offense. Talk about how you got involved with the Eagles and where it really gave you the impetus for a sports career. Yeah, so I'm going to try not to bore you with this by giving you the long version. No, but, you got you got you got 30 um, seconds for this. Go. <laughs> 30, okay, <laughs> I got really lucky. Had some great mentorship and met a guy, met guys like you to help me along the way. That's the short version. Um, you know, the, the quick version. I actually grew up in South Philly. I grew up at 11 and Porter uh, on Warnock Street, 2500 of Warnock Street. So that was uh, a block where you could hear the cheers from Vet Stadium, Phillies, Eagles. Uh, it was amazing. It was such a cool experience. And I used to collect aluminum cans when I was a kid and go down to the can bank right over there by the Argon Diner on 3rd and Argon and uh, make a couple extra bucks with a couple buddies. Um, so long story short, I used to just work my way around. I believe Jari has a business right by what used to be the Eagles practice field. Is that right? It is. Yeah, Good. you're right. It's uh, right there the at old, uh, 13th to Packer. The, 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 old, old Medora's, uh, the old Medora's Mecca. I correct. Think that's, that's your restaurant. It's now Somo. Somo Sofi. Somo Somo Sofi. Yep. Sure for South Philly. Yep. Right there. And it's a good place, oh, I Rob. I can't wait to get back there and, and, and have a have a meal there, Jari. But uh, uh without getting off track, right next to that spot, that used to be the parking lot for that stadium. And the Eagles had two practice fields right next to there. And there used to be an opening. If you would walk out of your restaurant and make a right there used to be a hole, a little small hole in the gate. It Mm -hmm. was covered with some green cloth, but I saw the hole in the gate when I was collecting aluminum cans, and I used to sneak in there to go watch the Eagles practice. So Reggie White um, was obviously a very friendly, fun-loving guy and kind of took me under his wing a little bit, and so did the former equipment manager, Danny Murray, assistant equipment manager for the Eagles, and kind of said, hey, all right, if you, you carry some dummies, uh, practice tackling dummies, you know, little uh, pads, blocking dummies, uh, if you can, uh, you know, carry these into the van for me, I'll, uh, I'll give you, you know, I'll let you come back to practice. So long story short, they couldn't, you know, let me do that once, and they couldn't get rid of me ever since. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of how the whole thing started. And Reggie White took me under his, under his wings and uh, had uh, 
he used to give me in high school and 50 bucks for every A I got in high school. How many, how, how, did you get any, did you get any money? Oh, you did. Okay, good. You well, actually were able to collect? I, yeah, not by, not a lot of money, okay? <laughs> got like 100 bucks here, 100 bucks there, which, you know, back in the early 90s, that was a ton of money, especially for a kid like me rolling around South Philly. Um, and, um, yeah, that kind of started everything. And then um, Otho Davis, who was the late great uh, athletic trainer for the Eagles, who worked there for 23 years, um, he took me under his wing after the whole ball boy thing kind of went sideways on me a little bit. Cause I was, you know, South Philly kid with a gigantic mouth on him. Um, and Otho, um, you know, liked me and he took me in and let me work in the training room for a while. And that's where kind of everything started. Uh, and then staying on the inside, working as a ball boy and for a trainer. Um, I just, that's where I fell in love with sports and that's how the whole thing started and realizing after, you know, a number of years working as an, as a trainer, I realized that's not something I wanted to pursue long-term. So I went back, uh, finished, uh, I finished college and then I went to go get my degree, um, a master's degree in the school of education, realized I didn't really want to teach. So I went back into sports and then that's where another mentor of mine who both of you gentlemen know, Brian Baldinger took me under his wing and kind of showed me the ropes in the world of television. And now I'm fortunate enough to have a job with AT&T Sportsnet in Pittsburgh as the field reporter for the Pirates. What wonderful, wonderful mentors you had. And uh, of course, you were also the recipient of the first ever Otho Davis Scholarship, which helped fund your education because uh, your your mentor and trainer, unfortunately, got sick and passed away. And in, in, in his memory and his honor, they started that scholarship fund. And you were uh-huh. the first beneficiary, first recipient, and, and, and very worthy. And everyone's really excited for you, Robbie, and glad you parlayed it into a wonderful career. So um, it, but before I leave that Eagles era, what was in that mixture, that juice that Otho Davis gave the players? Were you privy to that? You know, you know, Otho passed away May 2nd of 2000. So we're almost at 19 years when he passed away. And I still don't think we have an answer. We definitely never <laughs> had one when he was alive. And I don't think 19 years after his passing, Gerald, that we're ever going to get the answer to that. No, there was not drug testing, Darren... Gerald, but <laughs> we don't know yeah. what was in that mixture. Well, and it was that describe the, the color of it, it. <laughs> the blue. You are, so you're talking about this, the, the, the what they referred to as the mud pack that that they put on ankles. No, I was also mixture there was, that there was that. You're talking about the. No, you're talking about that Black Sea uh, mud pack that they. Uh, <laughs> That's, that's, that has a high salt content that pulls out the moisture. I've I've had that mud pack. That's, and any of the blue juice, exactly something right. like that. That Robbie. Yeah. So he had the blue juice, and then he had um a pill. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, this is this is uh, so. Statue of limitations has expired. Yeah, to go. There was a running back who went to Auburn University. James uh, James Joseph. Was, uh, was a running back and really good dude. Again, fun-loving guy, like just had a good time, was happy to play in the NFL. And Otho, he was, for some reason, Otho's favorite target for practical jokes. And he had this blue pill that basically said, um, you know, like, like when you went to um, urinate, your urine came out blue. It was just, it was just dye is all it was. And, uh, and he would do it. They would come to Otho. And then once he got in front of them and he'd say, Otho, hey, you know, my um, – you know, my urine is blue. What do I do right now? And Otho would start, you know, asking a bunch of questions and send the guys out wondering what the heck was going on. And, and, you know, they would walk back in after some of the, you know, questions he would ask and realize the whole thing was a prank. Good stuff. So that was one thing. And uh, uh, as to the other substances, I I, I couldn't even begin to tell you where he mixed them up or what was in any of them because I got to be honest, from the mud pack to the blue juice to all that stuff, I don't know anything about any of it to be honest with you. <laughs> they told me it worked they said it worked i never asked questions i was a teenager gerald i was a teenager and so i never a, asked smart smart move and now you're a broadcaster you're a broadcaster of the pittsburgh pirates and you get to spend the month of march basically down in the warm weather of florida good place to be robbie um obviously in philadelphia the brace harper signing has sent everybody crazy and and excitement about the phillies that hasn't been here in a long long time what's it like down in florida what's the pulse down there and are the phillies the talk of everybody they are uh, number one. He and Manny Machado also. I think you know when you walk around the clubhouse and you see three hundred million dollar contracts hand, uh, handed out. Not they're they're Giancarlo stands the first one. They got three hundred million, but but to see them handed out within what a matter of a week, week and a half of one another, just sending 
you know, ripple effects all throughout the sport of baseball. And obviously another guy whose name has been brought up since the Bryce Harper signing is a guy, a certain player who wears number 27, who's from Millville, New Jersey. Um, they're thinking, hey, if Manny Machado and Bryce Harper are getting 303, what, what did Bryce Harper, like 330, I think Bryce Harper got something yeah, 13, like that? Yeah, 13, um, 330. Yeah, so it's 13 years and 330. Like Some people are thinking, well, Mike Trout, he might get a billion. Like, he, he might get a billion <laughs> if that's the case, if that's what Bryce Harper's getting. When Mike Trout becomes a free agent, he might get it, go for a billion. Um, but that's basically what the talk is, really, you know, when you talk about um, baseball, along with, you know, uh, un- unfortunately, from, from the player's side, is you can make an all-star team up of guys that don't have jobs here in mid-March, um, who don't, you're talking about Adam Jones, Dallas Keuchel, I mean, there are just uh, Gio Gonzalez, there are a number of players out there who have yet to be signed by teams, and you're thinking, wow, like if if Manny and Bryce got their asking price, mm-hmm. you know, why are these mid-level, you know, uh, lower to mid to, you know, somewhat some upper-level guys, you know, like an Adam Jones, who's a veteran, still a great player, leader, loved in the clubhouse, loved in the community, fan favorite. Um, why are these guys not getting jobs? So I think between the two of them, you're seeing a lot of chatter around the game of baseball for two different reasons. Can you say collusion? No, we'll get into that another time, but it, but it is very questionable. Anyway, Jazz got something for you. Let me ask you this. How did the guys feel about the, uh, you know, the length of the contract, you know, Bryce signing that 13-year deal. Do you guys look at that as much? Obviously, the number is great as far as the money amount, but what about the time frame? Well, I think the, the, the number one thing, Jari, is the lack of an opt-out. That's what has got people going, whoa, you're marrying yourself to 13 years to one place. I mean, I'm not sure there's ever been a contract that long in the history of sports there have there have but but you don't see the end of them actually the lakers one time did a 25 million 25 year deal with magic johnson but and and there's been some other long contracts but 13 that he's actually going to play on or that they're looking for him to play on is is unbelievable and you know taking him to his yeah 39th birthday 39 yeah she's 26 so yeah you're going to 39 years i think the, the number of years, I think, certainly is a thing, and this has become a thing too, Jari, is, you know, back to your original question, is is how do guys – look, before free agency, the past 10, 20, 30 years, it was you saw a contract of, you know, Jason Hayward signed an eight-year deal with the Cubs. Joe Maurer back in 2010 signed an eight-year, $184 million deal with the Twins. He fulfilled the whole thing. Joe did not have an opt-out on that. Jason Hayward has an opt-out. You look at Max Scherzer has an opt-out. Clayton Kershaw had an opt-out in his contract that he just signed a couple of years ago. It was it two or I think two or three years ago? Listen, he Machado just thirty million a year. Machado had one. Robbie and the one just signed. Harper chose not to. Right, that's what I'm saying. So I think that's kind of the thing where it's like, okay, guys are not opposed to signing the the deals of that length. I just think the opt-out gives the player leverage. Not a, not number one to have the ability to go make more money. But if you're looking at just say, for example, you look at a Joe Maurer, okay? Joe Maurer was not playing anywhere other than Minnesota. He's a Minnesota boy. He's born and raised. He's a local hero. He could have went and played football. Florida State is a quarterback. He opted to play baseball. Ended up getting drafted first overall. And the guy had a borderline Hall of Fame career. And the Twins are retiring his number, you know, in the next couple months at a home game at Target Field in Minneapolis, Minnesota. But if Joe had an opt-out, it wasn't so much for Joe to leave and go make money elsewhere. It was to put pressure on the organization to put guys around him to help that team get better, to improve, to make um, additions around him to get better. He could threaten and say, okay, hey, if, you don't, if we don't make this team better, I'm just going to pursue my options elsewhere. So I think the opt-out works for a couple different reasons, and that's why I think you see that more. So basically, while I can't speak for – players and what they're thinking is you'd have to hear from them to get a better answer i do know that guys use that opt-out both as leverage to either make more money and explore the free agent market or to force teams to build around them when you look at a guy like uh bryce harper coming in okay well all right now let's uh yeah aaron nola gets a contract extension uh you know in a couple of years who knows what's going to happen with mike trout does he come to philly does he not who knows but one thing you're hearing is that the Angels are engaging in negotiations already because they're thinking, okay, what's going to happen in a couple of years? So guys use contract lengths, uh, again, similar to what you said about the signings and um, you know the unsigned guys versus the big guys that got their contracts. Um, you know, the, the length of contract and the leverage kind of works both ways as well. 
Yeah, Robbie, um, Harper's already tried to recruit Trout, so uh, the whole Delaware Valley is excited at the prospect that two years from now they might have Trout join Harper in the outfield. And, obviously... and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is his walk-up song. I mean, can this guy make a better entrance <laughs> in that city than what he's done so far? I don't think so. Well, he's a staple at Eagles games whenever he can get there. He's courtside at some Sixer games, so the, the, the guy has his roots deep in this area coming from Millville and all his friends, family here, and it'd be an amazing, amazing thing. But, Robbie, before before I turn elsewhere and, and get away from the Phillies and deal with more with your local team for who you're covering, um, I want to ask you about a guy who was another offseason acquisition. Because the Phillies didn't just add Harper. They added JT Realmuto, widely regarded as the best catcher in the game. They added Segura at shortstop. And they also added McCutcheon to play left field. And you were pretty familiar with him from his days in Pittsburgh. What's your thought of that acquisition? Yeah. Yeah, um... You know, it's kind of unique. My first year working with Andrew was his MVP season in 2013. Um, and I still maintain, had the Pirates been able to get over the edge in either 2013, uh, whether it was, you know, um, unable to overcome Adam Wainwright in game five of the National League Divisional Series, um, or overcome uh, Madison Bumgarner in 2014 in his historic run to the World Series, or Jake Arrieta in his Cy Young season of 2015. Uh, if the Pirates were going to go over the hump in any of those three years, I swear you would someday see a statue of Andrew McCutcheon outside PNC Park and, uh, wow. on the North Shores of Pittsburgh. Uh, he is, um, if you would ask any Pirates fan, and you have to look at the Pirates uh, for generations, they won the World Series in 79, took a little bit of a dip in the 80s. They were good up until 92, the famous Sid Bream slide. Uh, when he was playing for the Braves against the Pirates uh, to knock the Pirates out, um, uh, knock the Pirates out of the playoffs. And they obviously did not make another appearance for another 20 seasons. So when you look at Andrew McCutcheon in the city of Pittsburgh, he is the face of winning, of ending two decades of misery, two straight decades of losing records. They went 20 years without a winning record. And Andrew McCutcheon is the reason why they were able to turn things around. And he goes out and wins an MVP in 2013. 2014 has another big year. 2015 has a little bit of a drop. 2016, you're like, okay, what's going on with Andrew McCutcheon? And then 2017, you're like, all right, something's up with this guy. Um, because one thing about Andrew McCutcheon is no, you'll never question. Anybody that spends time around him knows how hard this man works. He never ch gets cheated or, or, or never takes a day off. Um, not only like in terms of the lineup, he doesn't really want many days off, but the guy puts in his work. He does his diligence day in and day out. He's prepared mentally. He prepares himself physically. Um, hard to kind of explain the drop he had in numbers. And I think Andrew's acknowledged that uh, in some of the interviews that he's done and what he's talked about with his performance, you know, at the Giants last year. And then he went over to the Yankees, saw, you know, a moderate degree of success as they made a run to the wild card. Um, but, I mean, three years, I think it was like $51 million, I think the Phillies gave him. Um, you know, Andrew McCutcheon, in my opinion, I, you know, just in watching him, um, seems to be a better corner outfielder at this point in his career. And than they're, was, they're playing him uh, in left. Yeah. Center fielder. Yeah, they're playing him in left. So they're not looking to, for him to play yeah, center so anymore. Yeah, he switched from right to left when they signed yeah. Harper. So Harper will play right, assuming Herrera plays in center. But the point is, the dude's got some insane bat speed. He's got really good speed on the base pads. He's a fantastic teammate. He's even better in the community. The guy totally gets it. He knows what his role is. He knows what his status is. He's not the most vocal leader that you're going to be around. He's not a guy that's going to, you know, go grab somebody by the throat or grab somebody by the jersey and say, look, hey, that's not how we do things around here. That's just not in Andrew's DNA. That's just not who he is. But the guy is a fantastic leader by example. His work ethic the type of teammate, the type of person he is, he gets along with everybody on the team. You're not going to hear a bad word said about Andrew McCutcheon in any clubhouse that he's ever been in. Yeah, he's he a fantastic guy and a fantastic player, and I really hope he regains it and he could be you know, a high-level contributor because he certainly has the skills to do so. It seems, Robbie, the Phillies have him slated to maybe be their leadoff hitter, and he had a real his resurgence last year had a lot to do with getting on base, high, high on base percentage, higher walk totals, not hitting for the power he once did, but if they can set the table when you've got Harper, Reese Hoskins in the middle of the lineup, that, that could be a really terrific addition. Also, Ria Muto down there. The, the, the Phillies um, yeah. are putting together a pretty powerful lineup, and um, hopefully it will be an exciting 
2019 or 2019. But for the Pirates, what can you look forward to? You've got such a tough division that they're in. You've, you've got uh, Chicago, Milwaukee, St. Louis. Those are three really good teams, and you should maybe beat out the Reds, or the, but they're getting better. What, what do you see in store for your Pirates? You know, it's uh, four teams have winning records in the NL Central last year, Gerald. Wow. I don't think a lot of people realize just how talented and how deep that division is. Well, people, people now, people, they were so, but no, everyone knows that you know, the Cubs have put together this, this great team that won the championship a few years back. And everyone knows St. Louis is always good, but Milwaukee's put together a really, really good club. They were certainly one of the best teams in the league last year and they should even be better. Yeah. So it's just so hard to overtake that bunch. Yeah, very much so. And then look at the Cardinals. I mean, they added Paul Goldschmidt for crying out loud. The guys that, you know, how many top five MVP finishes has he had in the last couple of years? I think it's a couple. He was in the top three when uh, Andrew won the MVP in 13. He and Yadier Molina, I believe, were the top three in MVP voting. So when you had, you had a guy like that, they extended Miles Michaelish uh, to a long-term contract. They've already got you – know, Wayne, Wainwright's obviously on the downside of his career, but he's still a productive pitcher at this point. Jack Flaherty is good. Dakota Hudson, I mean, they have a deep team. You look at the Brewers, I mean, the way they are uh, uh, mixing – analytics and talent. And then they sign Yasmani Grandal as a, you know, a, a pretty good catcher, one of the better catchers in baseball. But where are the, where are the pirates going to be? So it's going to be tough for, for a team like the pirates, everything has to go right for them to see success. They won 82 games on a year where people thought they were going to lose a hundred. That's insane and silly talk. They're a talented team. They have a really good rotation. Trevor Williams, is the best pitcher in major league baseball, the second half of the season, your next word might be who who's Trevor Williams. Exactly. Not a guy that dominates you at speed. He dominates you at location and a great mix of pitches. So um, Joe Musgrove, Jamison Tyone, Chris Archer was a trade deadline acquisition from the Tampa Bay Rays last year. He's a two-time all-star. He could be a pretty good pitcher as well. So the rotation is going to put them in position to win games uh, just off the top. Number two, you look at the bullpen. They have a very deep back end of the bullpen. Felipe Vasquez was an all-star, came over from the Washington Nationals in 2016, uh, trade acquisition. He's one of the best closers in Major League Baseball. Uh, the same day the Pirates got Chris Archer, they went out and got Keone Kella, who was a closer for the Texas Rangers. He's going to be one of the better uh, eighth-inning guys in baseball and can close on days when Vasquez isn't available. Uh, Kyle Crick is a, a reliever the Pirates got in the Andrew McCutcheon trade from the San Francisco Giants. He's proven himself to be a good late-inning commodity. Richard Rodriguez was a waiver claim for crying out loud. This guy came in and had one of the best strikeout ratios in the game of baseball. So they have a very deep rotation that goes four deep. We'll see who the fifth starter is. That's to be determined here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, probably going to be Jordan Lyles as the fifth starter when the Pirates break camp. But the lineup is the biggest question mark um, in terms of offense and run production. Josh Bell, high-end prospect, former second-round pick out of the University of Texas. Um, Pirates gave him $5 million to talk him out of going to uh, – wait, let me, let me rephrase that. He was going to go to the University of Texas. The Pirates gave him $5 million to talk him out of that commitment after drafting him in the second round. He's an everyday switch hitting first baseman. He needs to produce more power. What is the question at third base? Jung Ho Gung came over from Korea. He hasn't played Major League Baseball in two full seasons. He played three games at the end of last year uh, after getting his visa. Uh, he had three DUIs and uh, had visa issues getting back into the country. If he can show power, they're going to produce more runs. Starling Marte has MVP-type talent. Um, if he can fulfill that talent, they're going to be really good in the middle of the lineup. They have Corey Dickerson, who three times in his career has hit 300 in a full season, um, and he won a gold glove in left field last year. So uh, Gregory Polanco, uh, high-pedigree guy they signed out of the Dominican Republic. Uh, so they have a chance to have a really good outfield. Their catching tandem is the, was the best in baseball offensively, Francisco Cervelli and Elias Diaz. So, um, But when you look at the Pirates, their payroll is going to be somewhere around 70, 72, 74 million, somewhere Very around that Hard to compete area. with the big boys later uh, with that. Really hard to compete with the big boys right. that way. Exactly. So everything has to go right if they're going to be competitive. If I can give you the quick version, everything has to go their way for them to be competitive, uh, and they can do it because of their pitching. Well, thanks for that thorough analysis, and all those Pirate fans out there will really appreciate it. Robbie, I'm going to have to get – we got to get moving. <laughs> we got a couple things before we go. First thing is – the rivalry between the Penguins and the Flyers is one of the biggest in Philadelphia in the NHL. Do the, yeah. do the, do the Penguins fans feel it the same way to their, their cross-state rival? Oh, 
just ask anybody from Pittsburgh where I'm from. They say, where are you from? I'm from Philly. Boo. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry to hear that. That's the reaction 90% of the time when I tell people I'm born and raised in Philadelphia. Isn't that funny? It's like the Dallas <laughs> Cowboys and Philly. Yep, and, I, and, uh, and we are sister cities across the state, but uh, I, don't, I don't think there's a lot of love lost between the two, and they're certainly very different. You, you know, what's, and what's crazy about it is, and, and I, look, I grew up a diehard Flyers fan my whole life. I, I loved the Flyers my entire life. I was so disappointed when they got knocked out of the first round. Uh, by the New York Rangers in the late 80s. And I was so angry for, for months after that happened until the puck dropped on the following season. Uh, but Pittsburgh, Pittsburghers hate the Flyers with a passion. But I'm not sure it's a rivalry when one team hasn't won a cup since three months before I was born, and I'm 43 years old, and another team won three cups in eight seasons. So I don't know. But whatever's sparking that rivalry, it certainly has not died in any way, shape, or form. Uh, every time these two teams meet, it's bitter, and I don't know when it's going to calm down anytime soon. You know, it is funny, Robbie. The, the Penguins have won five Stanley Cups since the, since the Flyers last won one, and they they won two, and or they came in the league at the same time. And the Flyers really owned the Penguins in the, their early history. It, it took forever for the Penguins to even right. win a game in Philadelphia, but it certainly turned around over the last few decades. Flyers had a big win over them in that outdoor game over at Lincoln Financial a couple weeks ago, and the Flyers. Oh, are... they were mad about that. They blew the late lead. The Penguins blew the late lead. And... Yep. I never forget how, how angry people were, and they were talking about how the, you know they're not going to make the playoffs, this and that. I'm like, take out Phil Kessel, Sidney Crosby, Janie Malkin, Matt Murray has two Stanley Cups. I mean, come on. They're talented enough where I think there's a chance. It, it would be cool if the Flyers can make a late run and somehow these two teams end up playing one another. I would love to see Yeah, always, always a good good time when they play each other and, and, and very heated. And, and sort of the throwback, actual real rivalry where teams intensely don't like each other, and we don't get enough of that sometimes in sports these days. But, Robbie, we, we do a little feature, and, and you're a historian. I mean, you were having lunch today with Hall of Famer Burt Blylevin. You've been around a lot. We do something on here that we call Colton's Champions, where you throw me a year, any time in history, from the time Major League Baseball started in 1903, and the, well, the World Series started, um, and I will give you the champions of that year. I hope. And, hey, you uh, got to pick a good one because he's he's like 99. percent I'm 100. percent Three seasons I dispute on this. The one he says I'm wrong on. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead, throw throw any year. I remember. <laughs> it's so funny you say this. Remember we were trying to identify NBA coaches who have won. I yeah. think it was five NBA titles. We were talking about Phil Jackson, um, uh, what Pat Riley, I think, might have been another. And I remember you dropping John Kundla on me. I'm like, who the heck is John <laughs> Kundla? And I look him up, come to find out he was the, the Minneapolis Lakers uh, head coach for Won, a yep. long time. Won five championships in um, six years in the early days of the NBA with the Minneapolis Lakers. And, of course, Red Auerbach won him in, in, Bo- in uh, Boston, Boston as well. Yeah. And Red, that's right. Who Red Auerbach. All right. So give you the year, and you'll name Popovich the also, four major oh, sports. <laughs> yeah, give me the give me uh, the year. Pick a year, any year. Let's go. To, all right, I'm going to go just one year. I'm going to go recent memory. Give me 2002. That is recent memory. See, I, I my whole I get a little hole in my knowledge in the recent memory because it gets a little harder. But in hockey, it was the Detroit Red Wings. In in pardon me. That's correct. It better be. In baseball, it was the Anaheim Angels. In the NBA. John Lackey, game seven. In the NBA, it was the Los Angeles Lakers. Who'd they beat? The 2002, was it the Nets? I think it was the Nets. The New Jersey Nets. Yeah, because 2001 was the Sixers, and then they Jason Kittles and and the Nets went back again, lost to San Antonio the year after. Um, what yes, Kerry Kittles. Kerry Kittles, 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 yeah, Kerry Kittles and Jason Kidd on that team, I think. All right, bear with me. Little Nova boy, Kerry Kittles. Yeah. NFL is the last one. In 2002 was Super Bowl. This should be an easy one. Super Bowl 37. Actually, was it was this was one that broke up with the three out of four years for the uh, New England Patriots. The 2002 was actually the it Tampa was. Bay Buccaneers sneaking go. in there over the Oakland Raiders. Yes. And with over John the, Gruden. Over John Gruden. John the Gruden Oakland had been Raiders. traded and, and snuck yeah. in there and, and won that. And 2002 Man. was also the University of Maryland basketball won their title with Gary Williams from this area coaching them to a championship. And had Steve you— Blake, Juan Dixon— <laughs> and had you uh, gone to the White House, you would have sh- shook hands with George W. Bush. 
anyway, that's a little. That's, How do you know that? How do you know this stuff? Uh, we refer to it as wasted knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Robbie, he's, he's been rolling with it every show, right. man. I don't know, Robbie. You, 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 right, give me another one. Can, can we do one more? No, nah, we, we, we got other stuff to do. Well, was... Robbie, you're going to come back with us. Give me, give me your prediction for the World Series so we can That's check back with you later on. Oh, man, I hope you're not recording this. Uh, I, if we had to pick a World Series winner right now – Houston Astros are really good. I'm going to pick Houston going out of the American League. And when you look at the National League, oh, man. I, I, look, these super teams come on paper when you look at Real Muto and Harper, McCutcheon, you know, all these teams, you know, that are pretty good. But when you look at the NL, I think you're going to see – I don't think the Dodgers are going to make it for a third straight year. So I'm going to predict um, – you know what? Oh, man. I you don't want to say it. I know you don't want to say it. You don't want to say it. I know he doesn't. It's hard to bet against. It's hard to bet against the Cardinals or Cubs. They're just so good. Yep. They're just. They have deep rotations, and and they're just so good teams. So if I had to pick, I would say I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the Astros and the Cubs in the World Series. Okay. A uh, little bit chalk, but I don't disagree with your your sentiments at all. I, I Phil- hope it's the Pirates. Believe me, I hope it's the Pirates. And in Philadelphia, we hope it's the Phillies, and that will be largely determined by whether that rotation kicks in with that with. The at the top, yeah. Arietta, and and all those the other guys, the young guys. I need one come more through. ace. One more ace. Vince Velasquez and Jared Eikhoff. Forgot and, about Jake too. I didn't mention his name. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, you mentioned him earlier when you were referring to some of the hard luck the Pirates faced. Anyhow, Robbie, you've always been my dearest friend, and I appreciate you getting on with us and giving us a little bit of insight from your take down in Florida. And looking forward to talking to you again and getting you back on as uh, we see if you made any good predictions. Thanks, anyway, Robbie. Thanks, Robbie. You guys are the best. Jari, Gerald, take care, guys. Thanks. Talk to you. Robbie and Smikowski calling us from Bradenton, Florida. So, so, uh, ja, What was your NCAA team? In 2002? Yeah. University of Maryland. Oh, uh, you're right. Uh, he, he, see, he says 99%, which is not – he just wants to somehow have me miss. No, I'm just checking. You know, I'm just, just checking. And right. Bloomsburg won yeah, Division yeah, Two football. Yeah, every anyway. year. Every year. <laughs> Good thing that's Russian not, title so. every year. All right, so let's uh, let's rapid fire because yep. we're in a rush. Yep. The, the Antonio Brown thing, and I, we'll, we'll visit this again, Joe. Yes. But he had the interesting comment that we touched on last week, which was that Ben Roethlisberger has an owner's mentality. And, and I think what I was trying to get at is the NFL management, the league, the owners have perpetrated this mentality that they get it the way they want to. That's even infiltrated and, and filtered down through the National Football League Players Association. And the owners really get their ways and contracts work differently. Careers work differently, differently in the NFL than anywhere. And Antonio Brown took a stand and he won. And it yeah. really is a rare player can do that. But he really did something. He got a raise out of it. He got traded out of a place he didn't want to be. And and all the power to Antonio Brown. And I have to say that I am actually a victim of having an owner's mentality. Not that I ever agree with the owners, but in dealing in the business all these years, they kind of beat you down and you just kind of accept. It's almost like an institutionalized thinking that they perpetrate. And and I understand what he was saying. And I'm really happy for Antonio Brown that he won this victory. Here, here, here it is, right? So you, you try to get the best players at the cheapest number, right? That's the bottom line. That's the whole thing. Just like with any investment, you get in low, you get out high. And and right now, you know, for these owners who have been in ownership for a long time, you know, it's just there's more sources or things that players could do that make them attractable with other teams. And whether if it's be media-wise or or whatever, but this is why Antonio Brown got what he got, right? Receptions, 2018, 104. Receptions, 2017, 101. Receptions, 2016, 106. Receptions, 2015, 136. Receptions, 2014, 129. Receptions, 2013, 110 receptions. The guy's a beast. He is a beast. That's why he got what he wants. Okay, we're having disagreement in 2018. I still lead the league in reception touchdowns. That's why he got what he wants because he's a baller. When you're a baller, you do baller things. Well, I'm glad to see someone with that leverage, which is rare in the NFL, use it. 
Well, it's not that they don't use it. It's just it's it, it's been uh, it's been bottled up. And now with all the outlets that players have at their disposal now, it's harder for it to be bottled up. It's just plain and simple. So when you see these guys like a Le'Veon Bell, like a like Antonio Brown, you know, everything's been bottled up. What you hear? Oh, he's over the hill because he's 30 years old. No, he's not. I just read you the numbers. How is he declining? But we no always say as soon as you whatsoever. hit 30, that's what people say. Oh, he's declining. Oh, they don't they don't say that. 10, 15 years ago, training camp was was eight, nine weeks, and now it's only five and a half. They don't say, oh, 10, 15 years ago, you had pads on and OTAs when you don't have pads on and OTAs anymore. The physicality of the game is changing. Guys are playing longer. You're not over the hill at 30. You can play and still be productive over 30 years old. Look at AP. He just showed you again coming off an injury. So there are certain things that have been ingrained in the way that we perceive guys once they get a certain age, but I just read you why he was very attractive to the Raiders. He's a baller, and that's what matters. When you're a baller, as long as you ain't got that off-the-field issue that's going to you know, hurt the team production or your production as a player, when you can bring this to a team, you're going to get that respect, and he deserves that respect. Now, the reason why it didn't work out at Pittsburgh, I don't know. I wasn't in that locker room. I don't know, but you just saw two big-time players – do it their way, and A.B. came out on top, and Le'Veon Bell, you know, made his decision, and, and he sat out, and, and he's a, a rare talent, too, and I'm pretty sure that he's going to be attractive to somebody also. Well, there's no question Le'Veon Bell's going to be attractive. The question is at what price. So Antonio right. Brown won. Le'Veon yep. Bell sat out last year, would not sign the tag for $14.5 million, and gave up a whole year at $14.5 million. Yep. We will see how he comes out. That number is still way high for the running back position, but the guy's, he's a beast, too. Depends it, on the team. Just relatively speaking, Ja. So what running back the running market, backs are getting, that's yeah, all, that's I get all. it. But I get it. And, and is he that head and shoulders above other guys out there? That's for teams to decide. I think he's superior. The guy but the market is what the teams create. So if another team creates a different market, just like just like the guaranteed contract that was signed by a QB this past year, it, it depends Only on what's takes created. One. Only that's takes it. one to be in love with that's him. It. And Le'Veon Bell is that elite guy who now saves a year for wear and tear on his body, and we'll see if he wins his. But Antonio Brown won. Le'Veon Bell will he land. won because he's not banged up. Yeah, but he may have lost a lot of money in the he process. He may have lost and, a lot. And, and, we'll, and we'll find out. You know, we'll get it back in endorsements, maybe. All, we'll the, all the power to him. He did it his way, and we'll see his, his rewards. Um, some Philadelphia notes as we come to the end. We Deshaun Jackson, who left here kind of unceremoniously during the Chip Kelly era, kind of a little bit almost got run out of town before, before being shipped off. He did. First to Washington and then signing in, in he Tampa. Did. He's about to be released, he says, by Tampa. And there's a lot of uh, rumor innuendo that he may wind up back here. That would be real interesting. But obviously, Chip's not around and, and, mm. and uh, bygones be bygones. And, and Deshaun could be a good addition to the Eagles still. There's a few players that I think will still be here if chip wasn't if he did if it didn't work out i mean if if, if it wasn't for him honestly plain and simple uh, i think djax one of those players um i think he uh went to tampa bay and showed what he can do he can still ball and um i think the quarterback situation down there is just not falling in his favor uh when you got the backup qb that can throw the deep ball maybe better than a starting qb or or the backup qb that's looking for you know, you're blazing wide receiver more than a starting QB is. Jamison looks at the tight ends a little bit more over the middle and stuff. But uh, so it, it'd be interesting if he come back here. I think he fits the offense well. He's a guy that could take the top off the defense, uh, you know, and leaves more space for the big body as all shine is. And it, it can go well. Eagles have some money to spend. They did some salary cap hey. cutting, cost cutting, and they've got some money and, and tend to always make some sort of surprise signing. D. Jackson might be the guy. It might be Le'Veon Bell. They certainly yeah. need a running back. It could be him, and we'll see where that winds up. Um, with regard to the 76ers. I mean, anybody have, can use Le'Veon Bell. I don't care There's no question. There's, there's no question. He's that good. It's just, <laughs> again, can use it's just, it's just a matter of what price, and, and we're going exactly. to find that out probably in the next few days. Yep. Um, with regard to the Sixers, Joel Embiid returned to the court after a couple weeks absence, hadn't played since the All-Star break, yeah. and immediately made his presence felt. The Sixers were struggling. They were 4-4 four and four without him. And, uh, Best you know, big you, man in the league. Well, you start to you start to maybe get worried, and then you see Embiid back in the corner, and you're like, listen, this is all dependent on Embiid being healthy anyhow, so yeah. if Embiid's not on the court, 
Sixers are limited. Embiid's on the court, they're a different team. And uh, from my standpoint, and you know I'm a big Ben Simmons fan also, I, I think those two together can really take this team over the top ultimately. I agree. But, in, but Embiid stepping on the court, he changes the game instantly. He, his defensive presence makes yeah. whether whether he does anything, just him being there. But the fact is that guy stepped on the court, he gets 27-13 and 13 just by showing up. Best big man <laughs> in the league. Who's better? Well, there, there's arguments as to who it could be, but right now, I, I swear to God, to be with you, you agree with you. You know, there's the the Anthony Davises. Anthony and, Davis is nice and and stuff. But and we saw what he put up when he came back after his little trading deal. He put up five points. Listen, right now, Not like and AD. Anthony, AD's Anthony nice. doesn't even want to play AD's right now because nice. he's yeah. trying to wait then, things out. Exactly. Um, you, it, it would be hard to argue against Joel Embiid right now, and we're fortunate as Sixer fans that he's right here. He and, has the biggest ceiling out of all the big men in the league. Uh, or the highest ceiling. There is this, no this. one that has his athleticism, size, combination. And, you know, when you think about how little he's played, exactly. this is only That's he played my point. 31 games two years ago, played a full season last year, and now this is really, in essence, kind of two and a half NBA seasons. Him, him and AD are one and one. They're neck and neck. They're both great and, and it's fine. And they're different players, And they're too. different body types. They move differently you know, with different players. Yes, I totally agree. So, so he is he is a beast. But because I'm a Sixers back. fan, Embiid is better. <laughs> And, and, and that's all right. It's it's good. It's good to have him you right now I mean? for the Sixers. Um, yeah. So the Sixers have a, a gala tonight where they do things for the Sixers Youth Foundation. They've just made such a presence in this community, and the team has just turned it around. A couple of things I want to note, by the way, uh, we we passed this past week International Women's Day, and in sports, women have come on so much. Mm-hmm. Title IX had a lot to do with it, and uh, and it's just been something that women have risen in all across the boards. In women's sports, their their jobs in men's sports, and, um, and now in the announcing booth, all sorts of places where they never seen officials and mm-hmm. things like that. And um, But it was interesting. There was a, a suit filed recently by the U.S. women's soccer team, and soccer is a tremendous women's sport. One of those sort of early team sports that got attention when they won the World Cup in the, in the late 90s, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and has been a really good sport for a lot of women, even locally. And uh, they, the U.S. women's soccer team filed suit against the U.S. Soccer Federation because they are not giving equal play to the men and women. And we are way past that in 2019. They, 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 they cite institutional uh, gender discrimination. And that's unfortunate that we're still dealing that in 2019. I thought we were way past it. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um... <clears throat> You're absolutely right. It's, it's, it's a shame that <clears throat> sometimes the the, the uh, higher powers are still stuck in in the times of 40, 50 years ago, and you know you're right in saying 40, 50 years ago because it's, it's, in the seventies uh, in tennis, things like Wimbledon, the majors, the Grand Slam events. They had very disparate pays between the men and the women, and the women, right. led by Billie Jean King, were able to bring challenges to equal that pay. But but that does go back 40-some years. So it's yeah. really amazing that we're still dealing with that in 2019. And, and, and those minds are still living and still around. couple other historical notes as we say goodbye, and Taylor's giving me a few extra minutes over there. I appreciate it. One is that Fran Dumphy, is, he coached his last regular season game for Temple, of a very illustrious college career that, that spanned both University of Pennsylvania and Temple, two really big five stalwarts, and just a great guy, and one of my favorite people. Fran never forgets a face, a name he meets, has a great word for everybody, just a down-to-earth Philly guy, and I, I want to say how much I love Fran Dumphy, and hope uh, the Owls do make the tournament. I think they will. I think they'll get in. They're right on that bubble, but... If if it's got to tip one way or the other, I hope the NCAA gives him a bid and lets him lets him finish that great career in in the NCAA tournament. There was a passing I noted in hockey, John. It gave me a chance to to reference something that nobody probably remembers or even is aware it happened. A guy named Harry Howell, a longtime New York Rangers superstar defenseman back in the '60s and '70s, passed away. He finished his career playing for a team called the Jersey Knights. There was a WHA team. That was a team, the league that merged. It had Wayne Gretzky and Bobby Hall had made the big defection. Even Bernie Perron went over there. We could talk about that. Like they were comparable to the ABA in basketball. And in 1979, the the NHL absorbed and merged with the WHA. But during its course, for one half season, the Cherry Hill Arena, which is now a strip mall, had a team called the Jersey Knights. And I used to go okay. got to see. Bobby Hall come to town and and uh, some real superstars that you would have never been able to see for I think it was fifty cents to go to a game in this wow. like four thousand seat arena of the top players in the world it was it was pretty cool they didn't last long but Harry Howell was was their captain and defenseman I, I was sorry to see him pass at the age of eighty six there was also a woman named 
Julia Ruth Stevens passed away. You will not know who that is. I would not have known, although the Ruth was telling. She is the last Bob, living. I mean, a Babe Ruth. The last living daughter of Babe Ruth, mm-hmm. or maybe granddaughter. I think it's last living granddaughter okay. of Babe Ruth, and then the legacy that he left behind. Babe Ruth passed away in 1945. I think this was his granddaughter. Um, but just just to touch on Babe Ruth because he's so important to know what he meant historically. I mean, that was a guy who was the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah, and then became the all-time leading home run hitter with right. 714. He really w- uh, made the New York Yankees. The house that, Ruth, house that Ruth built was Yankee Stadium and some of the really great things in baseball history are sort of tied in around Babe Ruth mm-hmm. and, and a name that really has to be brought up every once in a while in reference to, to the greatest of all time. Yeah, I mean, uh, baseball is... Is that our oldest out of the four major sports, baseball? Uh, yeah, baseball. College football started in the 1870s, officially, 1860, 1869, right. I think it was Rutgers and, and Princeton yeah. Payne. Major League Baseball. But college is not professional, so. Right, but then the NFL didn't start until much later. Right. And then, uh, so as far as professional sports, baseball probably was the first one in this country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so all those old-timers definitely... Uh, you know, spearheaded a lot of it, things. It, it was said by some great writer, philosopher. If one needs wants to learn about the United States, he needs to learn baseball. baseball yeah. And, and there's it, and, and there's so like there's so much history woven through it. Yeah. Um, one one for the old guys, for you old linemen, Jason Peters. Yeah. The, the Eagles did not exercise the option they had on his contract, but they have apparently signed him to another one year deal. He's missed almost a thousand snaps over the last two years. But there's a little tribute and appreciation hey. for one of the old guys. One JP's so, still doing it, man. He's still doing maybe it. Maybe the best left tackle in the history of the. Game. Yeah. A guy who was an undrafted free agent, tight end, mm-hmm. signed by the Buffalo Bills and became maybe the best left tackle of all time. Yeah, it, I think his coach in Buffalo was, uh, was it McNally, Jim? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah, Jim and Jim came to New Orleans, spent some time with him. He taught me some few things, and he always re- referred to JP as as being, you know, one of the best in the game and, and enjoyed coaching him, and you know, when he was in Buffalo. But uh, JP's still doing it, man. He's he's still out there battling in the trenches and, and getting the job done for sure. So, Ja, we're going to see if a lot of signings and a lot of uh, transactions in the National Football League this week, and I, I, I'm really looking forward to it. Look forward to, to us being able to discuss it next week and see what yeah, sort of draft transformations. Six weeks away, six and then, weeks away from and, the draft. And a week from now will be about a week and a half away from the Phillies opening, and we'll know a little bit more how these Sixers are melding again with Joel Embiid back <clears> in the fold, back in the lineup, and hopefully uh, the Flyers, who are now have pulled within five points of a playoff spot. There you now, go. Still the odds are against them, but with 15 games to go, they have exactly. they have really the thing made about it hockey way is you still get a point for losing. So that's like, you know that's what makes just, it hard to overcome. It's deficit. just like goodness gracious. But <laughs> well, let me ask you this: it's an overtime loss or a shootout loss. But you're right; you can you can lose a game right. and still get a point. Let me ask you this: uh, what seed does the Sixers finish? Because I think they can finish second. What, no. they, are they third now? They're, listen, they, they just they, moved up. They, they just catapulted. They're not catapulted. They, they took. They overtook Indiana yesterday. And moved up to third. They still got to play Milwaukee. Been, I have been waiting for Indiana to fall since Oladipo right. went down. They, they still, hung, they're still hung playing. In there. Yeah, they're still playing well. Yeah, they've hung in there. Uh, but, I agree. But but apparently yesterday there was losing to Chicago and Orlando screwed screwed us a little bit. But we lost some bad games. But they still got to play Milwaukee. Indiana supposedly, from what I, I heard of people in the locker room yesterday, that there's a lot of friction there and they probably won't hold up. Boston has rebounded and is playing. <laughs> very well again and had an out ahead of West Coast swing where they won in Golden State and they look like they maybe got it together. Yeah, maybe. but Boston isn't ahead of us yet. They're not, but they're they're, they're closer fifth, than right? they should be. They're only a game behind us. Okay. So but the way it goes right now is the Sixers are in the third spot. Indiana we're actually they're tied with Indiana, but okay. I, I still think we got the tiebreaker if I'm not mistaken. And then we're one game up on Boston. So right. the odds are right now that Boston and the Sixers finish three four. The and and the Sixers will avoid them that way in the first round and actually not have to play Boston unless they would get to the finals. But it is going to be very difficult. Well, one play six, two play five, and three no, play four. No, eight. One oh, plays eight. eight I'm, two plays I'm, seven. I'm on football. Yeah, so, I'm on football. So right now the playoffs, Sixers are in third, right. would play Detroit. If they fi- right. if they finish fourth, they probably play Indiana. Right. If, if uh, I mean, that's probably it's probably one of those teams. Listen, are you scared to play Boston? In the first round, uh, I am. <laughs> but we'll, we'll worry about that another time. Hey, listen, I'm. I, and Milwaukee and Toronto are real. I think good. they can get second. I, I think. I think they no. can get second. We are six games behind the Toronto Raptors with 15 games to go. There's no shot we get second. But, okay. but third is okay. Right now, as I said, they. But if Toronto Detroit loses business. all their games. 
it's not going to happen. Okay. See, basketball is hard to make up those differences because of the fact that the teams just don't lose that many games yeah, up top. Yeah. And and Toronto's lost 19 games all year. If they lose, they're not going to fall apart unless injuries catastrophically. No, I never, I never wish on injuries. No, I know you don't. And Milwaukee's only got 17 losses. So the odds are the Sixers are three, four, five, and I yep. think I think real good shot at three. I'll take four over five. I say, <laughs> I say they finish second. Okay. All right. Well, listen. It's it's all going to come down to the playoffs anyhow. We're going to have to. They're going to have to beat three good teams no matter how it comes out, and just to get to the finals, um, and to maybe save Brett Brown's job. And that's for a different show. And we will be back next week. We may be moving location. We might go check out doing it from Somo over in South yeah. Philadelphia and invite everyone to come join us. We'll have some details about that. But for my partner, Jerry Evans. Peace. I am your host, Gerald Colton. Thank you for joining us on Colton's Court. We'll see you next week. Court adjourned.